The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Welcome to The Art of Aging. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the issues to think about prior to and into our retirement years. In this episode, my co-host, Reverend Beth Long Higgins, is our guest. As Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, Beth has worked on many age-related issues, including retirement. Beth, can you share the scope of what we're going to talk about? Most people, when they plan for retirement, they hear retirement planning and they think of the financial aspects of this period of life. And that is important because that kind of gives guide rails as to what you can do within your resources. However, most people really don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about all of the other preparations for retirement, including the emotional aspects of retirement, the spiritual aspects, what's gonna give my life meaning and purpose, how is my family going to affect my retirement? And what do I need to do to pay attention to my health? Because that's also going to affect what I can do and the possibilities that are before me. A couple of years ago, the Parker Center hosted Joe Coughlin of the MIT Age Lab at your annual symposium. He says that retirement can often be a third of a person's life, a time he defines as the last 8,000 days. Well, he just lifts up through his work with MIT's Age Lab um, a lot of study about what's different about this third of life. And first of all, the fact that it's longer than any previous generation has enjoyed. Laura Karstensen was here with us at the Parker Center several years ago. And one of her statements that stuck with me is she said, a 30-year vacation never did anyone any good. It doesn't do the individual good, and it doesn't do society good. We're wasting the resources and the skills and the intellect and the compassion and the creativity of older adults. And those are all things that are helpful for us in our older adulthood to figure out how we're going to use those in a way that fits our abilities and our energy um, in that period of time. So meaning and purpose is, is, I think, the surprising one for most people. They don't think about that before they get there. And, you know, some people do retire and they take that trip. And then after a couple of years, it's like, okay, now what am I doing? Is this really fulfilling all of what I have to give? You know, I recall 20 years ago, I was working for General Electric. And this is about purpose. But I was told a significant number of people retire and then die in the next year because they're so wrapped up in their careers, they're lost. And the sooner we can be thinking about those things, I, I think the better we are when we actually get to that point. And retirement, as we've been talking about, is changing drastically. Folks are saying that 50% of the children today who've been born since 2010, 50% of them are going to live to be 100 years old. So how do we help them imagine a 100-year-old life? We're not talking about 65 years. We're talking about 100 years. So how do we, even with our children, begin to offer alternatives to the traditional understanding of retirement so that they can be imaginative and preparing their entire life long? I believe there's been some research into communities where people already live to be 100. 
I assume that's an indication of people being healthier. I imagine one aspect could also be having meaning and purpose. The Blue Zones are identified communities around the globe where there's a higher number of people who are 90 and 100 years old. Island in Greece, uh, a community in Okinawa, Loma Linda, California, um, a community in the Yucatan Peninsula. So these are very diverse areas. And there have been a lot of people interested in, in looking at them. Okay, what do they have in common? How come these particular communities, is it their diet? You know, what is it? And part of what it is, is in each of those communities, older adults have meaning and purpose. They know what gets them out of bed in the morning. And the Japanese word for that is ikigai. And a person's ikigai may be different when they're 89 than what it was when they were 87. But that doesn't matter. They still have a reason to get up in the morning. One of the examples I remember them talking about is the woman, and again, this was in Okinawa. She was in her late 80s, and her reason to get out of bed is she lived with her granddaughter. And in that culture, you hold babies as much as you can, and her job was to hold the baby so that mom could take care of the other kids and do the housework. And that's a very traditional model of grandmotherhood, and particularly they actually call it the grandmother effect. And, that, and, we, and we shouldn't take that lightly. You have written on the Ruth Frost Parker blog several entries on some of the newest research that Ken Dykewald and the financial planning firm Edward Jones have done about the four pillars of retirement. They identified four pillars, and this comes from research of talking with and surveying folks who are already retired. Yes, financial planning is one of those. But the other three pillars are health, family, and meaning and purpose. I was thinking about health again, and I felt until recently that I was indestructible. And I was probably going to be healthy until I died. And then I had this horrible accident, which was life-threatening. I had to put up bars in my bathroom, reevaluate how I was going to live. Now I feel like I'm going to recover, but it does wake you up and make you think about what could happen tomorrow. And the experience made me appreciate my wife and two sons who came in to help during the first weeks of my recovery. Also, there were a lot of friends who chipped in with food and moving furniture. Health challenges are when you really appreciate the support of family. Who are the folks that are going to be around me, not only to go out and socialize with, but in the reality of the population today, fewer people have children. There are more divorces, gray divorces that happen. So there are more single people than there were previously. And aging is not a solo sport, as you experienced following your accident. There, there are times when we need more help and more support than other times. So we need to work on, on, on gathering around us those communities and those relationships before we get to those crises periods. You know, increasingly, even people who are in their 60s and 70s are being called upon to provide that kind of support. You know, we talk about the sandwich generation of being, we think of them more in the 40s. Well, younger folk, those of us on the younger end of older adulthood in our 60s are also often caring for older parents, as well as we have our grown children and we may have grandchildren. And the care that we provide in, in those circumstances, we don't get paid for. But it's a tremendous value to the society. And so how do we make sure that we honor that and, and that we understand that that's valued? A lot of people get that from being part of a religious community. 
Hopefully, we find other ways to build support. A senior center, for example. I know United Church Homes is pioneering an innovative subscription service that can fill in some of these gaps. So even when we have family, our children, my children, my adult children, work. Their significant others work full time. And if something were to happen to me and decisions needed to be made um, or I needed resources, my children also don't live close to me. The question becomes, how do we make the arrangements that we need to make for care to to happen? And that can be everything from, if I can't drive, how am I going to have transportation? Um, And and some of these have been answered during the pandemic uh, and a little more accessible. How do I get groceries? Well, we now have grocery stores that will deliver, restaurants will deliver. So a service coordinator steps in to help do the research and help the individual narrow down to make some of those decisions. That traditionally has been more of the role of the adult children, whether or not they knew that information, they had to do the research on their own. And so a service coordinator is somebody who comes in beside the older adult, can be employed and hired by the older adult themselves, or can be employed by an adult child and works together, understanding that it's the whole family that's concerned about this. And that way, the adult child can continue in their profession and know that mom or dad is being cared for. I can still be in relationship with them and be present with them, but I I don't have the second job on top of my current job of making sure all these things are in place. I'm not ready for that yet, but I'm thrilled that that type of service is being offered to people who hope to stay in their homes as they grow older. As a pastor, have you had discussions about retirement with your friends? I have a friend who a year and a half, two years before she started retiring, every, we'd have conversations on a pretty regular basis, and she would tell me her plans for retirement. And they were never to stop working. You know, she had been working since the age of 19. She was a single mother. She retired at 70. And she found that taking 12 months to breathe and to reflect and to not press upon herself things that she should be doing. And at the end of that year, she had a pretty clear idea and an opportunity arose and she is working again part-time, but it is her dream job. She helped to develop it. And I think she's very happy. But how are we intentionally reflecting with other people who help to listen to us as we process what's coming and what we're experiencing and help be a sounding board as we figure out the next three to five years. That is a great example of using a friend to reflect on retirement decisions. You recommend a book, Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Older? Yeah, and the title of that book is Intentional, and it catches us all up because we all know the question that we ask kids or we were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this is, who do you want to be when you grow older? And it's a question about being, not doing. It's instead of asking someone, what do you want to do in retirement? It's asking them, what problem exists in the world that you can help contribute a solution? How can we positively influence and bring the gifts and skills that we uniquely have to make a difference in our communities, in our families, or for a larger cause or organization. It's a combination of that legacy and what's going to give me meaning and purpose. You know, I've developed my own meaning and purpose project. 
which is, I'm going to help an organization that I'm enthusiastic about that is doing sustainable agriculture. I'm helping them create a documentary on their work. And I have to say that since I came up with this idea, I've had a much more positive attitude about my future. Absolutely. Uh, And it's great to think that I'm going to help this organization and I'm donating my time and money and it's contributing to their mission. And it connects to something you've been passionate about for a very long time. Speaking of sustainability, Joe Coughlin had a very interesting observation about how there are new considerations about where people are choosing to retire. Another factor in that that Joe brings up, and I completely agree with, I really don't want to move somewhere or live somewhere where I'm going to have to, on a yearly basis, evacuate my home due to the effects of climate change whether that be forest fires or hurricanes or rising sea levels or any of those effects, to evacuate is very difficult. And as we get older, that becomes even more difficult. So that's going to play an effect um, in our own retirement planning as to where we end up living. And a lot of other folks who are boomers are also using that as a, a consideration and considering where to go. It's very interesting what you said about, I don't want to live where there's a hurricane. My sister-in-law had a condo which was on the beach. She was on the first floor and you could see the sand being eroded. They had to replenish the sand every few years at a great cost because it was getting washed away. Do you have any other suggestions on ways people can think about life after retirement? Somebody told me that they recently that they had participated in a program and they, one of the things they had to do was write their own obituary. And they said that was really an eye-opening experience. So if you were to write your own obituary or your own eulogy, what do you want to be said about your life? And if that can't be said at this point, what do you want to do to make sure that it can be said when that time comes? When we come to the reality in a new way, in a more urgent way of our own mortality and actual death, that does offer us the possibility of rethinking and evaluating and reflecting on what is important, what is the future, what do I need to do to prepare for the future. And that really is a key opportunity that many people don't hit until the 60s or 70s and in quite a new way. You know, it's kind of the realization that I have fewer springtimes to see the the, uh, dogwoods bloom in the future than I've experienced in the past. And that relationship with time can actually be key. So when people talk about what are you going to do with your time in retirement, it's not the day-to-day pieces. It more is what is my relationship with time? Now that I'm not reporting to a boss or punching a clock, what am I doing with my time that is generative, that um, brings me joy, that fuels my life, that contributes to that meaning and purpose? There's another exercise that can be really beneficial, and that's called the ethical will. We all know about wills you know, ha- pertaining to our state and our property and, and our belongings. But an ethical will is an opportunity for um, usually the older adult to write kind of the core values. What is my philosophy? What is important to me? So that at, at their passing, that is passed on along with the, 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 the documents and the life insurance and, you know, all of those other legal documents and financial documents. But the family is also given this, this piece that really is, is a part of a legacy. 
for the individuals who come after them, their family, to look back and say, this is what my grandpa was all about. I can give you a good example of that. My wife's father wrote an autobiography, partly because his wife was severely depressed and he wanted the kids to know about what she was like if they were too young to know. But he tells a story of he was responsible for nine kids and a woman that was not capable of doing much, and he lost his job. He made a hundred copies of his resume, and the kids all got together and collated them, and they mailed them out, and he got another job. My son read that, and it had a profound impact on him, and I know that when he reflects himself on how to approach challenges, that is a role model for him. You're right. That's a kind of is similar to effect that that an ethical will could have. Yeah. In conclusion, you've been co-teaching a course on retirement planning. Can you share what that course is about? Yeah, so Next Steps is a non-academic course that the Parker Center does in partnership with the Walker Leadership Institute at Eden Theological Seminary. And it's really encouraging folks to play with imagining the future and, and what's going to be important. And some of the individuals in the, in the previous two semesters when they've gotten done, they have an idea that is very similar to what they thought at the beginning of the course. And it's just helped to solidify for them. This is what's most important to me. And now I kind of have in plan some steps to get there. One individual who took the course at the end of the course, she said, I came in here and she took the course six months after she had retired. And she said, when I retired and when I started this course, I was going to write a book and I was going to do this and I was going to be involved in this. And she had a list of all the things that she was going to do. And by the end of the course, she realized what she really needed to do at this next period was to be a grandma. And she had some pretty cool ideas of how to cultivate that relationship with the grandkids. And part of that is that their mother, her daughter, has passed away. And so her being present, having moved closer to her son-in-law and her grandkids is also a way for her to honor her daughter and her daughter's legacy. To find out more about the Next Steps course, Google Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging and click on Programs and Conferences. Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old was written by Richard Leiter and David Shapiro. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Delmar Fellow Eric Johnson.